Hello and welcome to a new episode of the Wind Up Podcast. I am your host, Mike of MTGA Wines. It is good to be back once again to dive into kind of the behind the curtain business side of the wine industry with you all. And that's exactly what we're going to get into today. This is a topic that might piss some people off and I'm excited to get into it. And it's actually, it's, it's one that tends to be a pretty decent point of contention when it comes to wine sales and hospitality within any wine region. Uh, for our purposes, we'll kind of stick to the Northern California Napa side of things for this. But this is something that for me personally, having managed and built plenty of hospitality programs, working with my own small label, this is something that we deal with every single time someone visits us. Every single time someone books an appointment, every single time we are going to be ringing somebody up for a purchase of some sort, and that is tasting fees. You hate them. Shoot, I hate them. But they're ubiquitous across the wine industry these days, and it's something that is, has kind of become this unfortunately necessary evil for us. And maybe that's a little bit strong, but realistically, there's no one out there that likes paying a tasting fee. It's like getting charged a corkage fee at a restaurant. You've already bought the wine. Why do you need to pay 20 bucks for somebody else to open it up for you, right? You're going out to this winery. You know, this is just a marketing expense for them. You're giving them the opportunity to sell you wine. And if you're buying wine, why on earth would they charge you a tasting fee? Why is it that they're only waived in certain situations or only if you're a wine club member? Why are they charged at all? Why are they such a thing? And that's what I want to get into today. And I think the reason that this might piss some people off is that I'm going to come at it from the winery side of things and tell you exactly what these tasting fees do for us and why we've instituted them more and more over the last 5, 10, 15, and 20 years. I mean, realistically, it wasn't that long ago that you could come out to Napa and pretty much taste for free at a lot of places or very affordably, right? It might be 5 it might be 20 bucks for some spots. Uh, for some of the more, you know, by appointment places, it might have been a little bit pricier. But even a lot of those by appointment places might have just been, you know, complimentary. It's like, come in and buy wine and we'll call it even. And more and more, wineries have started to get away from that. You have folks that are charging, you know, quite a bit for tasting fees these days, anywhere from like 30 to 40 to 70 to 120 or $150 a person just to get in the door and taste wine. Two, you might not even get that refunded with a purchase anymore, depending on where you go. I think the vast majority of wineries will make exceptions for waiving tasting fees, but there are certain places that simply don't do that anymore. There are a lot of places that are now charging more for larger groups. If you have a group of seven people, even six people or more, there's a markup of some sort that instead of like a $60 tasting fee per person, it's now $80 because we're having to work with more people. You're starting to see that more and more around the wine industry. There's all this moving and shaking with it in how the wine industry has evolved from a hospitality perspective. And that's really what this conversation start with, starts with, is the hospitality industry that has evolved over the last 20 years. And that's where I want to start. Just kind of go back to the past and say, you know, why did tasting fees come around anyway? What do they even accomplish why do wineries have them instituted in the first place? Don't we just want to sell bottles of wine and not charge a tasting fee? Yes, that's exactly what we want. We would rather sell you bottles than charge you a tasting fee. That is 100% the truth. The tasting fees are something that none of us want to charge. But we do 
because again, it's become this necessary evil over the last 10, 15 years. Now you go back that far into, you know, the early 2000s, the 90s, the 80s, the hospitality industry and the tourism industry that, you know, Napa has grown into was not a thing. People would come out and taste wine from time to time. You know, you might, you might have, you know, an on-site salesperson for like wine club members, but even wine, the wine club phenomenon is relatively new. But you had a salesperson that probably worked the market more so with distributors. Maybe they were on site every once in a while. Maybe there's an owner, a winemaker, or somebody else who was working there. And if someone happened to give you a call and say, hey, we would love to come see the property, you'd be like, yeah, sure, just come on in, ring the doorbell, we'll be right out with you. It wasn't necessarily like by appointment, but it you always kind of called ahead to make sure someone was going to be there because there wasn't like this fully fleshed out hospitality program. You would just show up and be like, hey, are you guys doing, do you have any wine to taste today? And typically, you wouldn't be charged anything because the expectation was you would buy wine. And the diehards that would travel all the way out to Napa from, you know, around Northern California, the country, that's what would happen. You had a huge, inf you had a very small influx of people buying big amounts of wine. And it was just kind of a wash. Wineries at the time, you know, 20 years ago or more, saw it kind of as a marketing expense. It was very simply, we're going to open up some bottles you know, we'd probably open those up anyway at some point throughout this week. We might as well open up now and drink them with you and yeah, and buy some wine and yeah, we'll call it even. It was a very lackadaisical kind of laissez-faire kind of just, oh yeah, come on in, taste some wine, hang out, it'll be great. And as time has gone on, more and more people started coming out to this area. More and more people wanted to go wine tasting. More and more people wanted to seek out the hidden gems that they couldn't find in their local grocery stores. Even people wanted to go and see those big names. They wanted to go to Camus. They wanted to go to Silver Oak. They wanted to go to Opus. They wanted to go to Sterling. Uh, they wanted to try to get into some of those cult wines like the Harlands and Screaming Eagles and, you know, Arajos of the world. And then you had all of the other, you know, small brands that just slowly popped up here and there. And with that influx of tourism and more and more people coming out, you had the cost of hosting guests skyrocket. Because it wasn't something that we really did historically. In fact, the wine industry really historically hasn't done that at all. The vast majority of wine, the vast majority of wine, is sold through the wholesale side of things. It goes through a distributor or a broker of some sort. And it goes into grocery stores. It goes into liquor stores. It goes into restaurants. That's how the vast majority of wine is sold around the world. This whole direct-to-consumer thing, this whole wine club thing where you get in touch with a winery personally, whether you're visiting there or calling them or joining their or ordering online, that's a very new phenomenon for the wine industry. We're talking within the last 20, 30 years. Keep in mind, the Napa wine industry really has been rocking and rolling. If you want to say 60 years, that's probably about as long as it gets, thanks to prohibition wiping everything out and you know really not coming back and exploding until the 80s realistically you know you had wineries out here but it was you know still very much a niche thing so you know with this newfound kind of hospitality and hosting tasting thing that was evolving wineries needed to adapt why did we need to adapt it was just expensive we had to hire more staff we were pouring through a lot more wine than we ever had before. There was a lot of things we're like, okay, well, we got to cover, you know, some costs. And if more people are coming out, 
and maybe they're buying a bottle here, bottle there instead of six packs or cases. And yeah, we gotta have to we have to find a way to mitigate some of the cost of hosting people. So tasting fees were instituted. And it was a way for wineries to recoup, in essence, some of the cost of their customer acquisition. And this is something that wineries do very, very poorly. I don't really know of too many that actually know what it costs them to acquire a new customer. I know what it costs us. And if any other winery is within the same ballpark that we are, it means that they are potentially leaving a whole lot of money on the table if they're just waiving tasting fees willy-nilly. If they're just, there's no tasting fee at all, it's just all complimentary, and if you buy wine, that's great. It's tens of thousands of dollars, if not more than that a year, depending on how many people you see. And you extrapolate that over the course of, you know, half a decade or more, now you're talking some big time numbers, right? And you need to find ways, theoretically, to mitigate that. It's almost like, I mean, the other side of it is maybe you do something like Amazon Prime where you're not charged shipping, quote unquote. For those that are just listening, I'm doing the finger quotation marks thing. Because believe me, you're paying for shipping with Amazon Prime. It's just not a line item. It's rolled up into the cost of everything that you're buying. You just don't see it. It's built in and baked into everything else. That way you're getting, quote unquote, free shipping. That's how that works, right? And theoretically, wineries could do the same thing. Say, oh, well, we're going to you know, take a little price increase on our wines just to average out you know, what it costs us to host tastings. Yeah, the wines are a little bit more expensive, but yeah, now there's just no tasting fee. Wineries do the same thing for shipping, right? The same kind of Amazon Prime model of, oh, we're just going to roll it into the price that way you don't even see it as a line item. It's smart, smart marketing. But we're still paying for it one way or the other, whether it is that line item or not. And it's, it's all because wineries are hosting more and more people. There's more and more traffic coming into the valley. Uh, there's a lot more wine being poured. There's full hospitality programs and staffing and all kinds of things that go into creating the experiences that many of us have come to know and love. That comes at an expense. And many wineries try to simply just recoup some of those costs using those tasting fees. Knowing full well that there's probably exceptions, right? That if you're buying a lot of wine or you're a wine club member, you're probably they're comping some tastings throughout the year. Probably a whole lot of them, actually, hopefully. But there are going to be folks that maybe buy a three-pack, maybe, you know, a couple of bottles or whatever. And that purchase doesn't necessarily warrant comping tastings, right? And that's where this gets a little fuzzy because there's not like a standard way to expect how to expect what tasting or how it gets waived or so on and so forth, especially now because there are more and more people charging them and more and more people are being a lot less lenient in waiving them. There are some very simple kind of tricks of the trade, like buying wine or joining wine clubs that'll kind of give you that inside track to get a tasting fee waived. But realistically, it can be tough these days. And tasting fees have only gotten more expensive. I mean, we were talking, you know, I mean, some of the wineries I used to work for 14 years ago was maybe 15, 25 bucks for the reserve tasting. I mean, you talk about tasting fees like that these days, it's a cool 45, 75, 125. If there's any food pairing involved, it's probably triple digits no matter what. You know, it's, it's not cheap. It's something that has become, you know, a 
I would say a revenue driver, but not a profit driver for wine for wine businesses. Because again, how we stay in business and how we do what we do is we sell bottles of wine. We don't charge tasting fees. There are a handful of places that actually could see enough volume of people and charge tasting fees and probably do pretty decently with them in terms of like making money. But that's not how tasting fees are typically structured. It's more to cover costs of that customer acquisition, whether that winery knows exactly what that number is or not. And that's what I want to get into next is by the numbers, because numbers do not lie. And this is something I'll try and keep it simple in terms of just like easy math for us, right? And provide, you know, kind of a rough example of, you know, number of people you're seeing, the cost of acquiring those customers and how that kind of factors into a small wine business such as our own. And, you know, you can obviously extrapolate that to a bigger wine business that sees thousands of people a year rather than a couple hundred people a year, right? So let's say for the sake of argument that acquiring and like hosting a person to acquire that person as a new customer, someone comes in the door, they want to taste your wine. It's going to cost you $50 to host that person. It's actually a little less than what it costs us to acquire and host a guest actually. But for the sake of easy math, we're going to do 50 bucks. That's the cost of the winery. You're talking about the staff person, you're talking about keeping those lights on. You're talking about uh, the tasting forms and like collateral business cards, whatever. You're talking about the glassware and dishwashing stuff. You're talking about uh, the bottles of wine that you're opening, right? All that gets factored into that number. And let's just say it's $50, okay? Now, if you're using just kind of a basic, you know, retail like Keystone kind of pricing, it's you want to sell whatever good you're selling at basically a 2x markup. So if it costs you 50, you're selling it for 100. Because that way you cover the cost of that and you can make a new thing. That's like retail 101. It's more, it's like true like retail stuff. We're talking like clothes and like shoes and things of that nature. Like that's how a lot of those margins work. And it's never, it's not an exact science, but you know, that's kind of the, the thing, right? And there's some strategy in how those retail shops are set up and, and the whole nine, knowing that certain certain customers gravitate to certain parts of the store and whatever. So it's not exactly translatable to the wine industry, but that's kind of what you're looking at. Now, does that mean if you see $120 tasting fee that it actually costs that winery 60 bucks to host you? Probably not. Because again, that ticket price to come in and sit down at the winery now is not so much to I would say it does cover a little bit of the cost of you know what we put into hosting that person, but it's also a vetting tool. And this is something that some of you might be surprised about. And anytime you go to a winery and it's your first time there, whether it's your first time to Napa or you've been here a hundred times, what happens as you're kind of getting to know the person that's hosting you, if you've never met them before, they ask you some questions. Many of you have sat down with me and heard some of these questions. And all we're doing is we're going fishing. And the tasting fee helps kind of weed that out. If, if you're typically buying, let's say, if you're a customer that's typically buying wines that are like $15.99 and less from your local liquor store, and you come out to Napa and you're going to pay $75 for a tasting fee, it means you're getting more serious about the wine you want to drink, theoretically, right? You already see that, hey, 
We know that we drink this wine. We typically drink a little bit more affordably. We want to learn more about wine and we're willing to spend a little more to enhance our knowledge and hopefully find some really cool special stuff. That's one side of it. The other side is, it's like that Seinfeld episode. Who would spend $7 on a bottle of wine, right? That's the other side of it. That why would I pay $75 for a wine tasting? That doesn't make any sense. I'm just gonna find the places that are like 20, 30 bucks. We can knock out two or three of those for the same price. The bargain shopper, right? So it weeds out certain customers from coming to our places of business. It's a vetting tool. That's what a lot of tasting fees, especially for small like producers and kind of the high-end kind of culty producers with these high tasting prices, the reason why a lot of them are so high is one, to help cover some of the costs, but two, we want to know that you're serious about wine. And if you're willing to spend the extra coin, there's a pretty good chance that you're getting more serious or you are serious about the wines that you want to try. It tells us something about you as a customer immediately. And then when you show up, what do we start doing? We ask, where else have you tasted? What are some of your favorite wines out here? What do you normally drink? Where are you from? How long have you been into wine? What kind of, how, you know, what do you have back home in the cellar? Do you travel regularly to go wine tasting? How long, you know, we start asking these fishing questions to kind of understand who's in front of us. Because, you know, at the end of the day, we're salespeople. <laughs> Again, we got to sell wine to stay in business. So we got to try and figure some of this stuff out. And that tasting fee is very regularly a big part of that. It's that vetting to it. It tells us a little something about you. Now, we know full well that you don't want to pay tasting fees. You would much rather, many of you, and I think if you're listening to this podcast, you're probably into wine enough that you don't like paying. Like, you all understand. It's like, you know what? Maybe we're not buying wine today, so I'll pay the tasting fee. But if you're buying wine, you're like, damn it, don't charge me for the tasting fee, right? That's how that works. There, it's a little bit of that transactional relationship at some point, right? We all know this. I'm not, I'm not, I'm preaching to the choir here. I'm pretty sure. But we still have to hedge our bets because, and this happens pretty rarely, but it does happen when people do come out and they just don't buy anything or they buy a bottle or two or just a small amount of wine. That's not that we don't appreciate it, but it doesn't do enough to move the needle. So let's go back to that $50 price or cost of hosting a guest. Let's say it costs you $50 to host that person. And someone comes in and you have a white wine that's about 40 bucks. Let's say $40, right? And they buy a six pack of that white wine. They weren't really big into the reds, but they love the white. So they spend a cool, you know, 240 bucks on this white wine. It's a group of four people. And that means you've spent $200 investing in customer acquisition, which means theoretically your net profits about 50 bucks, right? I told you we we're going to try and do easy math. Actually, sorry, I screwed that up. Even man, I'm so bad at math guys. I just, uh, okay. I'm starting over three, two, one. All right. It costs you 50 bucks per person. You're hosting a group of four. That means it costs you $200 for customer acquisition, right? You have this group of four buying six bottles of a $40 bottle of wine. Six times four, 
24, add a zero, 240. Breaking it down. Multiplication tables, y'all. Which means it cost you 200 bucks, you made 240, your net profits, $40. Okay. How many times do you need to sell that six bottles to a group of four to make that make sense, right? Easy enough. You know, if you have to pay, you know, that, that cost of customer acquisition probably includes the salary of the person, it should theoretically, of the person that's hosting that group. But if you're gonna be a profitable business, you're gonna need to sell a lot of six packs if you're to every group of four, and you're gonna need to host a whole bunch of people. This kind of goes back to the margin conversation, right? That we talked about, like the cost of a bottle of wine, right? Because if you're if you're selling a million bottles of wine and making a dollar per bottle net profit, you're making a million bucks, right? That's pretty good. If you're making something like us, so like we make, what is it? We make about it's called a thousand cases. We're right a little over a thousand cases. So 12 times a thousand, easy math, 12,000. I, I had to pull out a calculator, guys. If you're watching, this is super embarrassing, but I have to. I, I'm going to screw it up. So you have 12,000 bottles, right? Divide that by six packs. You have 2,000 bottles. You have, it's 2,000 transactions times the $40 profit. That's $80,000 in net revenue from that from hosting those guests. Oh, my brain just almost scattered. I, I'm, I must have needed like an extra cup of coffee this morning. So let's, so you're making a cool 80K if that's what that net kind of average net profit is, let's say. Now, can a wine business in Napa survive on $80,000 a year in the bank? The answer is no, <laughs> it can't because that's just the cost of hosting those tastings. That doesn't include your grape bills. That doesn't include your barrels. That doesn't include any of that other stuff. Doesn't include your winemaker. Actually, in the case of me, it does because I'm you know, part of a two-person show. But anyway, you know, there's a lot of other expenses, right? You're just buying Cabernet. If you're buying Cabernet in Napa these days, you're paying nine grand a ton probably. You know, that 80 grand does not go very far. One ton equals about two barrels for those that don't know. So when you go back to that initial purchase of about 240 bucks, is it worth it to waive that tasting? Does that purchase, does that $40 of profit move the needle enough for you to say, hey, I'm gonna try and maintain this customer relationship by taking care of you and saying, hey, tastings are on me and you didn't make a lot, but now you have someone taking wine home, hopefully sharing it with their friends, sending more people back your way, using that as kind of a, a brand advocacy, you know, way of obtaining new clients. Is that now worth it? Is, is it okay? Do you feel good as a business? That's the question you have to answer. And there are a lot of folks that say, okay, to make sure it's worth it, we're going to have kind of a, a purchase minimum, right? Because that 40 bucks might not be enough. Let's just say hypothetically. So what do you do? You say, okay, maybe we go back to kind of that retail model. Let's say we're charging that $50 for a tasting. If everybody buys $100, you know, using that basic Keystone kind of pricing model, 
And if you spend a total of 400 across four people, now we're talking. Maybe that's the threshold. Maybe it's more than that. Maybe it's a maybe it's a buck fifty a person. Whatever the case is, you know, you figure out the math based on kind of what your business needs, right? Based on the cost of doing business, what you're doing, the things that you're wanting to invest in and improve. Because you can't just break even with some of this stuff. Because there's too much money on the line. You can't just leave it on the table. You need to try and keep things rolling forward, right? Theoretically. So you find out whatever that number is. And this is a conversation that we've had to have. I've, I've, you know, for other companies that I've worked for and even for folks that I've hosted, this is a, it's, it's, it's kind of a tough conversation to have because, you know, we are salespeople. So we want to try and again, sell you and on wine. We also don't want to charge you a tasting fee, but at a certain point, if you're buying, you know, a three pack or something of our cheapest wine and there's six of you in the group, I can't waive all those tastings because now I'm in the hole. Right. Let's use that $40 bottle of white wine again. So let's say you buy three bottles of white wine across a group of six people. You know, that's a $120 purchase. Not nothing. You know, always appreciated. This is something I should mention is that whether you're buying a bottle or a hundred bottles, any winery appreciates it. it. We do. We really, really do. But in order to stay in business and continue doing what we do, we have to bring in some cash flow. So this is where it gets to be that little bit of a point of contention, right? So you, they buy those three bottles and you charge that $50 per person to cover the cost of the tasting. So it's $300 worth of tastings and another 120 bucks in wine purchases. You know, it's a 400 and what, or sorry, it's a, yeah, $420 all in thing. And you inevitably get the question, this has happened to me. This is very much akin to a story that's happened in the last six months, actually. Uh, slightly different wines and, and, and conversation was had. But, <clears throat> but now all of a sudden, are you willing to spend that $300 in customer acquisition and sell that 120 bucks? So you're in the hole, 100 and, you know, what is it? Three, you're in the hole, 300 bucks, right? No, sorry, that math is wrong. See, this is why I, this is why numbers are hard for me sometimes. I get on a roll and I'm like, I know what I want to say. And then my brain like outruns my vocal cords. That's what happens. And then it's like brain fart. What was I talking about? Here we go. So all of a sudden you've spent $300. They've given you that, you know, 120. So you're out 180 bucks, Right. You're losing money on that transaction. Realistically, yeah, it's nice that you purchased those three bottles, but that doesn't make financial sense for the winery all of a sudden because now they're just, they're giving too much away, in my honest opinion. Now, this was actually a conversation that I had with a great friend and colleague of mine. And it was a, a situation like this where... Uh, a couple had bought, actually they had bought three bottles. Uh, they bought three bottles of our Cabernet though. And there were six people in the group and they were putting it all on one tab. The other f- two couples did not purchase anything. The one couple bought three bottles of Cabernet. We waived the tastings. We said, Hey, you guys bought three bottles of wine. We're taking care of your tastings. We're just going to charge for the other four. Cause they didn't purchase anything. And the colleague of mine 
thought it was silly of us to charge. Like, hey, they bought wine. Like, don't charge them for tastings at all. And this was the conversation I had to have with him was, well, here's our cost of, here's the cost of, you know, hosting these people. And we took care of the people that bought wine. These folks didn't. And I have to kind of separate that at some point. Because if I don't, and I just comp these six tastings, I'm not in the hole, but I'm making a lot less if I'm taking care of all these tastings. Because if I'm going to comp all my tastings throughout the year, that becomes a huge line item in our budget. Let's, for the sake of argument, go back to that $50 price, right? Let's say you see 500 people a year. I'm making these numbers up on the fly again for easy math. So $50 times 500 people. Whoops. It's 25000 right? Yes, I did it right. $25,000. So theoretically, you're spending $25,000 on customer acquisition every year. And his argument was, that's a marketing expense. It's it just factored into your budget. You know, hopefully, again, you're going to rely on those folks to buy wine later down the road. Maybe they join the wine club. They tell their friends to come out and see you. You know, they try to keep in touch. And you try and maintain those customer relationships. Because why? Because it's a lot cheaper to maintain current customer relationships than it is to acquire new customers. That's like business 101, I'm pretty sure. It's a lot cheaper to just keep your current customers than it is to go find new ones. It's the equivalent of the fish is already in the boat, stop reeling, basically, right? And this is where a lot of you might disagree with me. And maybe you're surprised by this. But in the six or so years that we've been hosting tastings just for ourselves, this is kind of anecdotal, just our own you know, side of things. And this might surprise people and maybe we're doing something wrong. I swear we, we do the best we can to try and, you know, for customer retention, everything from, you know, swag to perks and things and all kinds of things. But in the time that we've been hosting tastings, the amount of folks that have not purchased any wine or said, oh, we'll purchase or join the wine club later on down the line in seven years, I can count those people on two hands. It's less than 10. Okay, so if less than 10 people are coming back and sending us people purchasing down the line, so on and so forth, does spending that money make sense? So for seven years, 25,000 times seven, in that seven years, you spent $175,000 on customer acquisition. That is the main goal, the main focus of tastings. That's why you host them, right, is to sell wine. If you get less than 10 conversions, is there enough ROI there to warrant spending that $175,000? My gut instinct, and it is, it is a resounding no, because that's the main driver of business for a small direct brand. And if people aren't purchasing later on down the line, then you have no business waiving those tastings. What would you do as a small wine business with like a spare $175,000? Hell, let's go back to that $25,000 number. And just let's just take the one year cost. Let's say that that's the actual cost of customer acquisition in a given year based on all those expenses and how many people you host. $25,000 pays for our Cabernet Franc and our Merlot grapes. I can pay for both of those with that $25,000. I can buy all of my new barrels. I can pay for a full bottling run with $25,000.
That's a huge chunk of change for a small wine business. So does it make sense to give that away and just spend it on customer acquisition when there are a significant number of those people who are not purchasing wine or as much wine as you might expect. Now to put this into a little bit of perspective, a lot of people come out here and they do buy wine, right? That because, you know, when you're, when you're out here visiting or we do the same thing when we visit other wine countries is that, you know, we don't want to pay tasting fees and we try to, you know, buy wine where we go because we want to, it's, it, we want them to feel as though it's worth their time as salespeople and we want to support their business. That's why we try and hunt down other small family projects and buy wine from them directly is to mitigate, help them mitigate costs like this so that they can continue doing what they do. That's, that's a huge part of it. And I completely forgot where I was going with that. This is one of those really harebrained episodes. You know why? Because this is, this is something that is, for me, this is a really touchy subject. I'm going to sidebar for just a second. This is a really touchy subject for me. Because, I, I mean, I can tell you that like the biggest customer service issues that I've faced within this industry really come down to two things. Tasting experiences and fees associated with them and shipping. These are like the two big things that cause more problems than you might think they're worth. And at the same time, you're trying to stay in business because this stuff's expensive, right? And that's what we were talking about. We were talking about paying those bills, all those things that we can pay for with that 25 grand, if that, you know, if that's the money you're bringing in, right? So you have to find a way to say, you know, this is what needs to be spent in order me, for me to waive these tastings. Now, I want to put this in perspective. In the first six months of this year, of 2023, from January 1st all the way through the end of June, I can tell you that I charged, I think, two dozen people for tastings. That's it. I can tell you we saw more than two dozen people in six months. That accounts for maybe, maybe, like 12 or 15% Maybe, maybe, I don't know exactly how much traffic that would account for, but it's a lot, it's a small, it's a pretty small percentage. And the reason that we charge for those tastings is because, hey, you either didn't buy wine or it was a few couple of bottles and I have to charge something to try and mitigate some of the costs of hosting guests. And I, I'm, man, I'm going to be very surprised if there's no one that like disagrees with this or there's nothing in the comments about tasting fees after this. But the reason why we charge that is because, hey, look at all the things that I can buy with that money. If I recoup even half of that, right? If I recoup half of that, that means I'm buying at least a couple of barrels. That means I'm buying some grapes. It means I'm covering the cost of doing business outside of just hosting the tastings that we do. Again, because hosting these tastings, the cost of doing it is entirely for customer acquisition. And if you're not acquiring customers and selling wine, then you got to find ways to help to mitigate some of the cost of doing it. That's why tasting fees for us are the way they are. And like many places, there are ways, pretty easy ways to get those tasting fees waived, like joining our wine club or our allocation list, buying X amount of wine, so on and so forth. We really do try to make it easy for you, the customer, to not be charged a tasting fee, but the big but in the room that I cannot lie about 
was trying to do like a Sir Mix-a-Lot thing. I don't think it landed. We'll see. I'm going to listen back to that and be like, oh, that was so cringy. Anyway, the big butt in the room, <laughs> now I can't say it without laughing, is, <laughs> oh my gosh, I'm losing it. Losing it. Stay on target. <laughs> is, is that purchase helping cover the cost of the other stuff that we're doing? There was, um, this is kind of an interesting anecdote. And I, I've, I, I wasn't going to tell this story, but I'd, I'm going to, because this is, in, in my career, not just with what I do for MTGA, but for other wine businesses as well, there have been, I think, three times in 14 years where someone has gotten in touch with me as a customer service rep, whether at, at another winery or through MTGA, and said that they were dissatisfied with the fact that they were charged a tasting that they bought wine and they were unhappy and they should that should be refunded immediately. That's happened like three times. It's pretty few and far between. And if you're listening to this and you're out there and you feel slighted because I charged you for something, please let me know. <laughs> you know, we are in hospitality. We want to do everything that we can to make sure that you had an amazing experience, a memorable experience, and that you felt as though your money was well spent. That is like our A number one thing. Even like the wine sales are outrageously important. That's like one A. The hospitality and like taking care of our people is one B. It, 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 those two things go hand in hand and they have to in this industry. But there's a gentleman that very similar to some of the examples I got, you know, bought some wine. It was not a huge chunk of wine. We have our own policies about how and when we waive tastings. He was very unhappy that we charge tastings. I gave him, you know, gave him our policy and like, hey, this is, you know, what we do. This is how we do things. Very typically, you know, if you're in our wine club, we waive tastings no matter what. Otherwise, there is a certain minimum purchase that we ask for to make sure that we're, you know, that we can pay our bills. <laughs> right? And I tried to say it very, very eloquently and nicely, I, you know, because this was kind of one of those make or break conversations with somebody. And he was just irate. I mean, just, I mean, yeah, not, it was, it was not a great conversation. Canceled his order. And it's something that for, God, eight, that was like eight months ago. That was more than that, actually. It was like almost a year ago. And to this day, I mean, it's, I'm still bent out of shape about it because I'm like, I, I, I'm trying to defend what I do and, and, understand that I appreciate your purchase. I, I don't want to discount the money you've spent because it's important to me. Anyone who buys a bottle of wine, it means the world to me, but I do need to keep the lights on and that costs money. And unfortunately, if I just keep comping all these tastings, I'm one thing I'm going to have to just raise the price of my wines. Number one, like that's like we were talking about. You, you roll it up into the cost of doing business. You say, okay, well, if this is the average cost and you figure out how many bottles of wine you need to sell to cover it and you raise the price of your wines by a buck or two here or there, whatever the case may be to make it make sense. Right. Again, it's like Amazon prime. You're paying for shipping. You just, it's not a line item. That's how that would work. And I've considered doing that. I, I really have actually, and maybe it's something I, I change, but I don't. And what's interesting is I don't know any other wineries that do that. I do know a lot there. Allegedly, there are a handful of wineries out there that still offer complimentary tastings entirely, you know, banking on the idea that someone will come back and purchase or refer people their way later on down the line. And I look at that based on my experience. I'm like, man, you guys are going to be in a financial hole in no time flat because you're not collecting anything. 
Hopefully you got some customer data in the form of like a phone number or an email address so you can try and market to them. But for anyone that's worked in digital marketing, you know that if you got a 1% conversion rate on an email campaign, you're killing it. <laughs> so if you, if you comp a thousand tastings, you know, if you comp a thousand tastings in a year, you're going to get 10 purchases from that. Theoretically, if you're pretty good at what you do, depending on the email campaign, what you discount and all that other stuff. I know some of you probably work in marketing. You're going to argue with me about the numbers. It's fine. But that's kind of where we ballpark it, right? That 1%, maybe 2% conversion, just for the sake of argument. Yeah. So it's the tasting thing, man. I, I, I can't stress this enough that I completely understand why. I mean, it's why we don't like paying tasting fees. It's like, I would just rather buy a few bottles and call it even. But I understand why people do it. Because of how busy it has gotten and the simple cost of doing business now in the wine industry is so expensive. To put it in a little bit of perspective, our costs across the board, every line item in our budget was up 20 to 30% in 2022. It's crazy how much more expensive it is to do business in the world of wine and in California. But it's kind of the way it is. And with that comes certain things that wineries will institute to try and cover those costs and continue doing what they do. And tasting fees just happen to be one of those things. The bright side is that there are typically ways to get those waived in the form of buying wine or joining wine clubs. I know not everybody's a wine club person. I get it. Believe me, I get it. Wine clubs aren't for everybody. You'd much rather buy a la carte. No harm, no foul. You do you, bae. It's all good. But understand that if you're paying a tasting fee, you're helping that winery stay in business. And hopefully you're paying that tasting fee at a small mom and pop shop. If you're going to one of the big names, you know, it's, they cover some costs with that, but it's, it's a little less important, especially if they're distributing their wine all over the country and the direct side of things is, you know, less important. It's still, you know, important. They're going to charge something, but you know, when you're supporting your mom and pop shops, that little bit of money, that 25K we were talking about, that can go at a long, long way in ensuring a wine business's success. Very similar to a corkage fee in a restaurant. We hate paying it, right? We already bought the wine. Why do we need to pay you that extra money to open it? We can open it ourselves. But anyone who knows anything about the restaurant industry, and if you don't, hopefully this little fact is enlightening, that restaurants don't make their money on the food. Unless you're McDonald's, right? The only, if you're going to any place that's considered kind of fine dining, the bar program is where they make their money. Selling glasses and glasses of wine in particular, bottles of wine, cocktails, beer, that's how they stay in business. And when more and more people started bringing wine, BYOB, to restaurants, all of a sudden restaurants were losing a bunch of money because no, far and few and far between people were buying wines off the list anymore. It still happens, but not nearly as much as it used to. And restaurants were having a hard time coping with that loss in revenue. So what did they do? They instituted corkage fees. This is how it works, you know? And these industries, whether it's wine, restaurants, or otherwise, you have to adapt to those conditions and do the best you can. And I, I want to stress it one more time before we call it quits here, that... 
we are in the hospitality industry and we will do the best we can to take care of you because that's our job. It's everything to us. The art of entertaining and hosting people, whether, whether, you, whether you realize it or not, when anytime someone comes out to any, any program that I've worked for, managed, whether it's my own or otherwise, the A number one thing that I want anybody to take away from our tasting experience is one, hopefully some wine, one B, that you had an amazing experience that hopefully you learned something, hopefully you had fun, and it's something that was memorable. One A, one B, those are the two things. And if a tasting fee is going to get in the way of that, we're happy to have a conversation about it. But understand that it is something that can help move the needle for small producers and small brands and help them do what you want them to do. And that's make kick-ass wine. All right. Enough about tasting fees. That's, man, that was such a, it's such a, it feels like such a feisty conversation. And I hope I didn't piss too many people off, but I hope that that kind of you know, behind the curtain, you know, conversation gives you a little bit of insight into why they're a thing and frankly, why they are important. We got to talk about a wine of the week though. And this is something that we, we talked about the 30 year party. I didn't do a wine of the week with that episode because those were all the wine. Let's be honest. Those were all the wine of the week. If you didn't uh, see the YouTube short, uh, feel free to go through our channel and click on the shorts, uh, or go check out that, uh, uh, other episode, there's a link to the wines that we had, uh, some really amazing old stuff, plus uh, some pointers on how to shop for old wine towards the end of that show. So it's worth checking out. Uh, but this week's Wine of the Week is actually a little bit of a blast from the past for me. And it's it's one that is, you know, it's a company that I used to work for, so I, I'm a little biased. And it is the Cliff Family uh, 2016 Croquet Vineyard Cabernet. Uh, this is a property uh, that Cliff family owns uh, off the backside of Howe Mountain. It's not technically Howe Mountain because it's not above a certain elevation. Uh, it's off of Ink Grade, however. Uh, it's an amazing little spot. And what really did it for me with this wine is that, one, it's a young wine. It's a mountain Cabernet. It's got plenty of life left, and it's seven years old and just singing. But what happened was is I opened that bottle of wine. I had like a glass and a half of it. A few nights ago, I was like, yeah, it's doing okay. You know, it's yummy, but I wasn't going to finish a whole bottle a night, so I corked it. The next night, I came back to it, and it was even better than it was the day before. It was like, shoot, I should have decanted that damn thing because it was outrageously yummy. And it was fun to go back in and try that wine again. I, we also had uh, some Kitts Killer Cabernet, the 2014, I think it was, Kitts Killer Cabernet uh, a couple nights ago with some friends. And it's just, those wines are just so solid. Um, it's a reason why I loved working for them back in the day. It was cool. I haven't had those wines in a while uh, from my era of working there. And it means I got to go back to that tasting room and see how things are going and try their current lineup because Laura, their winemaker, is just a rock star. She kills it. Uh, does an awesome, awesome job. So that's the wine of the week. You can find a link uh, to their website and the Croquet Cabernet down below. Um, they may not have that 16 available, but I'm sure they've got some of the more current releases as well. Now, if you're into mountain wines, it's uh, worth a shot. Uh, it's worth trying out. So 
Thank you all so, so much. This is a little bit of a longer episode. I appreciate you letting me bend your ear and talking about some of the business aspects of the wine industry once again. Uh, be sure uh, to continue to submit your questions uh, for our Q&A coming up at the end of the month. Uh, you can leave them in the comments, uh, throw, slide them into our DMs, go to our website, mtgawines.com, uh, scroll down to the bottom. There's a little form that you can fill out with any questions that you have. We'll try and answer them to the best of our ability. If there are any other topics that you would like covered on a show, more kind of long form like this, let us know as well. If there's anything in particular that you're curious about, we'll try to incorporate them into future episodes, whether it's the Q&A or more of a long form like this. So thank you all so much for continuing to download, continuing to share this with friends. Uh, keep doing it. This has been just an absolutely great cathartic way of talking about the wine industry for me very very selfishly and i hope that it's something that's been at least entertaining and educational for you guys as well so take care we'll catch you next week thanks for tuning in we'll see you